Hi guys, you're listening to the Morning After the Life Before podcast. I'm Jack Schofield. And I'm Sam Corty. And the idea of this podcast is we're going to invite guests on to talk about their unheard stories behind their success and their character. We want to listen to their mischievous childhoods, bumpy educations and stories that don't quite fit the stereotypical model. The idea is we're going to wake up to find out what really happened behind the scenes and stories that never quite made it to social media. This podcast is currently supported and produced by the team at 226 Photography. Sam, how are you doing? We're back. Yeah, good, thanks. Um, it's actually been quite an exciting day today. Um, we have finally been allowed back out onto the water. There's a small group of us in the team that are trialling out some new protocols and new regimes because the government have, have allowed high-performance centres to to reopen. And, I mean, there's quite strict rules and things for us to follow. We get our temperature taken. We have to fill out questionnaires each morning before going to training. Um, but, yeah, it's just so nice to be back out on the water and actually doing what I do. <laughs> Exciting stuff. <laughs> How about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, good. Nothing exciting. We've had some racing announced, actually. So racing's due to start next weekend. So that's quite exciting. Just in a format of like time trialling on the bike, uh, British Triathlon have said that they have published some rules to say that they'll be doing some racing. So yeah, back to um, back to it, really. Obviously, it looked very different to how it used to, but it's exciting that we can get back and um, start start mixing it up again some form of normality yeah exactly so who have we got as a guest do you want to want to introduce him so this week we have tom pearson smith um me and jack both went to uni with him at bath that's where we met and we all rode together uh, he is his official job title we we're going to go with he's uh we're not allowed to say it. i know his official one but i'm not allowed to say it yeah so we're gonna go with a mechanic at the Formula One team with Ferrari, which is all very exciting. It's really, I thought it was really interesting to hear his journey from being his younger days through uni with us and to how he sort of got to where he is now. Yeah, there's like some really interesting points in this. There's some very funny stories as well. Um, so we hear about his days in the marching band at school and then how he made sure he achieved his dream, but despite not being naturally gifted at school. So we hope you enjoy the episode. And we even got the famous apple pie story in there. Yeah, we did. So here we go. Enjoy it. So you're our second guest, Tom. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Lovely to speak to you guys. It's been so long. It actually has. Obviously, we should explain all three of us are very good friends. We lived in the same house at university for a little while. I was in the flat below you two. That was a fun house. <laughs> delightful room roommate or jack was really just you were a neighbor really jack i guess yeah jack was a neighbor but he also was a bit of a terror of the neighbor i was a naughty neighbor you, yeah. were, the, you were like the annoying neighbor that kept setting the fire alarm off i remember we had a house party and sam you had a trialing the next day didn't you and someone set their fire alarm off at like 2am and you went rightly so went berserk <laughs> yeah was it exam time when it went off and there was an actual fire yeah and I thought it was Jack straight away. Guys upstairs actually set. Someone had a candle in their bedroom, and it was at, they burned their flat out. Yeah, apparently they were revising by candlelight. Whoever does that, it's like not the Victorian ages. So yeah, they, and it caught the curtains. Yeah, they couldn't even come up. up with a good excuse. 
Um, they they definitely didn't look like the ones that had scented candles. Yeah, well, I got to go in the back of the fire engine because I just walked outside in my pyjamas, which were just like shorts and a t-shirt. And one of the firemen offered... Those guys were really cool. I remember the firemen actually being really sad. Yeah, well, he let me sit in the back of the fire engine. I just got these selfies of me in the back of a fire engine. Uh, our friend Emily Bissett was in the top flat as well, so there's all, all the rowers. It was a good house. I've got some good memories from that house. Yeah, well, we'll get, we'll get on to them later on. But back to business, so... Early life, Tom. So growing up, like, what was your setup? Siblings, parents, where did you live? That sort of thing. I uh, had two parents, um, and I had one brother and one sister, both younger than me. Born, grew up around like Woking, Guildford Way, so south of London in Surrey. Was there for like primary school, and then went to second, well, end of primary school and start of secondary school. Actually, lived in Malaysia for five years, and then came back when I was like in year eight or nine, I think. So pre-GCSEs and then went secondary school back in like Woking. How was Malaysia? Yeah, awesome. That was one of the best experiences Didn't I remember. Do you have many memories of it? Or? Yeah, no. I feel sorry for my brother actually because my brother was so young when we were actually out there. He has like barely any memories of the, the time we were there. Whereas me and my sister are at least lucky enough to be able to remember it just because we were like, yeah, up till I was like 13. So I have some really awesome memories of like, yeah, living as an expat going to an international school and having like a really international group of friends and yeah cool part of the world um just yeah every like school holidays would like go off to i don't know australia or thailand or new zealand just because they're all so so much closer than they are around here so just lots of lovely holiday memories i suppose it's like jetting around europe isn't it yeah exactly it's like anyone here would go on holiday to paris or something we'd go on holiday to singapore or jakarta or something like that I don't know. most of us would go on holiday to italy but you live there because i was grew up a little bit as an expert i always knew i wanted to live abroad again did you get on with nick and lucy obviously your brother and sister my brother i've always got on with my sister we never got on really <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to make up for it now. If she listen, if you listen to this, uh, don't worry. I threw my sister under the bus. Well, I broke my sister's arm five times. What? <laughs> what? How? She was actually a celiac, but nobody knew. So when you're gluten intolerant, and that made her immune system or her bones were very, very weak. She couldn't like digest calcium or something like that. I we I used to we used to play fight because we're only like a year apart. I, I think I pushed her off the back of a sofa when we were kids. I pushed her off a climbing frame. Um, and she broke her arm, like different arms, but well, like five times, all from a result of horrible, horrible older brother. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I would never have had you down as such a bully. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't the nicest older brother, but... You get on any better now? Yeah, now we get on all right, now we're fine. Now he just tries to kill her by feeding her gluten. Oh no, she, I definitely would never, would never. No, we definitely get on lo- loads better now. Yeah, I had a really similar thing with my sister, I think because we were so similar. We were just so, yeah, so competitive that I think it that's kind of the issue when you're growing up. You're fighting to be the best. I can't imagine you being you're not getting on with your sister, though, Sam. Oh, yeah, but I don't know. It's not down to me. It was all her fault. I wish I could say the same, but I don't think I was, I don't think I was the nicest older brother. No, I don't think you can if you broke her arm five times. And like, it's not even once or twice, like five times. Yeah. That's pretty bad statistic. That's a bad statistic, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Were you proper keno at school? When I was in Malaysia, I was a rebel and didn't do any schoolwork, just did sport and didn't try at all. And then I came back to the UK and then I like completely changed personality. My parents said, like, I came back, had no friends. Kind of like uni, really. No, I had no friends and (laughs) just put my head down. (laughs) So what did you want to be when you grew up? I remember very well when I was secondary school, I just wanted to play rugby for England. That was it. I was convinced I was going to do it. I remember my uncle was like a rugby coach and he was like, you're going to do it. You're going to play rugby for England. You're really good. don't know where. I obviously lost talent at some point or maybe everyone else gained talent. <laughs> um, it didn't happen. 
Then I want. Then I wanted to be a pilot, seven four seven pilot. I actually, I remember actually having like a poster of how to control a seven four seven, and I used to like study it. And then when I was like fourteen fifteen, I remember I decided I wanted to be to work in F one and be an engineer and work on cars because I remember, yeah, I remember very vividly actually like someone introducing me to Top Gear. Ah, oh, such a good program. Becoming obsessed with cars. So that's what Sam found really interesting when we suggested getting you on because the majority of people still at 25 to 30 35 don't actually know what they want to be long term whereas from a very early age you were kind of like I want to be an F1 engineer um I'm going to go to uni I'm going to meet my dream girl marry her yeah I always I always feel like Tom has been like the most planned out and organized of my friends ever like as I just remember from as soon as I met Tom, he's had his life planned out and you've known exactly what you are going to achieve and by which point in your life you're going to have achieved it. And to be fair to you, you've pretty much done it, I would say. Yeah, I mean, like, I have definitely not achieved everything I wanted. I've definitely had a fair amount of failures, but like, yeah, I definitely at 14, I decided I wanted to work in F1. I actually wanted to be a race engineer, so I still haven't quite reached the exact role, but I'm quite, I'm quite happy and content with the way I've got to. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, it's a bit unusual. My wife always has a go at me for that. Actually, she's like, I still don't know what I want to do with my life, um, and yet you've known since you were fourteen exactly what you were going to do, uh, or what you wanted to do. In the current society, you're absolutely the minority, though, aren't you? They reckon the average millennial is going to have seven careers, whereas you're kind of much more similar to the traditional or the old generation where they sort of had it not all of them knew what they wanted to do but at least they had it planned out for them and it was kind of like this is what you're going to do no definitely well i mean now now i've ticked my box i can just sort of like i can retire now so i'm just gonna be a stay-at-home dad after this after, after the next year well you got kids on the way <laughs> no <laughs> curveball news just in <laughs> i want to tell you something now we really hope your sister and family aren't listening <laughs> imagine that'd be such a way to tell them it would be awesome clickbait though for the podcast can you use this podcast actually to ask if you two be the godparent oh yes 100 <laughs> percent. Can, can you imagine me as a godparent imagine you two teaching <laughs> teaching this child what to, how to get through life <laughs> tell mary louise that you've picked me as a godparent i'm sure she'll love that i think she'd have sleepless nights about that <laughs> worrying she would not want to have any kids anymore <laughs> <laughs> right so going back to education i mean i only really know this because i've lived belling and potentially reading and also writing i wouldn't say is that in a polite way yeah. not the best yeah of everyone i know you'll have the worst spelling yeah were you diagnosed with dyslexia or not i mean someone will probably correct me on this but i remember having a dyslexia test when i was at primary school and I, my memory is the lady said, the lady who gave me the dyslexia test said I passed, but just on general knowledge, I was dyslexic for everything, but my general knowledge was quite good. I was quite good at retaining random facts. Okay. So I don't know if that's a, a, a true memory. Do you think that like shaped your, so you said when you were in Malaysia, you were quite a rebel. Do you think that was part of it? I was, I was never like the clever one. I was never like the clever one at school. Uh, and when I was in Malaysia, I was like one of the sh- more stupid ones. I think I was well, not well, not, not I wouldn't say stupid. That's not politically correct. I was definitely the, at the bottom end of the class. <laughs> Example A of Tom not knowing the right words. At least he didn't say stupider. The lower end of the academic spectrum of the class. I was always there. Has it ever held you back? Do you think? I actually think it helps. Well, me. Obviously, you're very successful now, so you've got to where you want to be. But do you think along the way, it's kind of. You've hit a lot of roadblocks because of that. Yeah, like I, I was supposed to go to 
uh, I was supposed to go to Hampton Boys School my parents wanted me to go to and I failed the entrance exam so I've had like setbacks and I've but then as soon as I got back actually got back to the UK and got introduced to a more structured like very formal school I didn't have such a free expat life and low a big friendship group I was kind of reverted to be an in- introvert um, and then realized that I was not that clever and then very quickly after arriving back in the UK realized what I wanted to do um, and realized I needed to get like a maths and a physics A level to be able to go to uni and then to go to a good uni A there to be good but like I, I very quickly worked out the path I needed and then realized that I needed to work a lot harder than everyone else for sure it would have been easier if I was naturally more intelligent because I remember like talking to friends and then being like I'm doing like five four hour five hours of in a day and I'd always have to do like yeah I remember like GCCs I'd do like nine hour days 12 hour days just but just to be able to match my friends who were just doing like four or five hours that's really interesting though isn't it that like you're a ferrari engineer so on the surface it would be very easy for everyone to be like oh well he's obviously just bright growing up when clearly you obviously are but you've had to work very hard for it was that was that kind of directed from yourself or did you feel that was from like your parents or school or was at the age of 14 was it very much something like your own decision my parents didn't really put much pressure on me or anything really and the school as well the school was very strict but they never like pushed you to do better it was always like silly things like have you got your diary signed that used to like terrify me oh or like, have you God. signed out of the house uh, that's what i that was my first ever detention was not getting my diary signed at school what? what's the diary you didn't have a school diary <laughs> no oh we had a diary at school that you had to like writing your homework and make a note of everything and then at the end of every week one of my parents was supposed to sign it and then the next following week yeah, I'd exactly. show show the teacher and they would also sign it and if you hadn't had your diary signed you got like a yeah. lunchtime detention in our school almost everyone would be in detention bear in mind i went to a school where <laughs> one, i remember coming in one day and someone got shot in the eye with an air rifle at lunchtime and wow. had a glass eye for the rest of well i'm assuming he still has a glass eye it's not grown back <laughs> yeah. you go to school with mad eye moody <laughs> <laughs> yeah mate don't tell anyone yeah i mean i i find it really weird because like our school seemed to, my school seemed to be like really anal about that sort of stuff and I think I also got a detention about like the colour of my socks. Yet general behaviour was just seemed to be like glossed over because they almost picked on the stuff that the good kids did would sometimes forget or do bad. Yeah, for sure. I remember that. If some people forgot to sign their diary, that was a detention. Yet being caught smoking or some of the things that you would think were a lot worse. Oh, smokers would get away with murder. I always remember they that. like didn't they didn't get detention because otherwise, like you say, you would have had the majority of the school in detention. I remember at lunchtime we used to do the chippy run, so we used to get thirty five minutes for lunch, and um, every Thursday I don't know why we always picked a Thursday, but we used to run from school to the nearest chippy, which is about fifteen minutes away. So you had to go down this massive hill at the back of school. This was completely not allowed. And then you get your chippy, smash it down as quick as you could. And then obviously it's 15 minutes back up the hill to school. So you had literally, from the moment you started lunch, which could sometimes be a couple of minutes late, you had a 30-minute journey and then an extra like three or four minutes to eat your fish and chips. So all of it was spent running. And we get back into lessons, like, dripping because we were sweating so much. We called it the chip sweats. And I was like, are you all right? Like, yeah, you thought you were so cool. Like, yeah, mate, I had a chippy for lunch. What a legend. <laughs> <You're just> like... <laughs> was it worth it? 
We always thought it was worth it, except looking back, it absolutely was not. And now you run for like three hours <laughs> for absolutely no fish and chips whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Chips fish and chips are my favourite <laughs> um, meal, so maybe maybe that's something to do with it. I still feel like a legend for eating fish and chips. <laughs> that's funny. Where did you go to high school? You said Surrey. Was it like a boarding school or anything like that? Yeah, it was a pretty weird school, actually. Like, it was It's like one of the only like state-run boarding schools Um it's like, and it's like basically a military school, what I'd describe it as, because it's got lots of military links. That's why it's uh, boarding, because lots of the military people send their kids there, and then they go off on tours and stuff like that, I guess. Oh, cool. Um, so the majority of people there are like, have like yeah, parents in the military or some military link. Also, Tom, when you were at school, were you in a marching band as well as your boy band? Yeah, <laughs> I actually can, could play the bagpipes. I mean, my <laughs> teacher would probably argue, argue that I couldn't, but... <laughs> So did you own a set? Do you own a set of bagpipes? No, they were always school owned. They're like five grand a set of bagpipes. They're really expensive. I'm not sure anyone in Scotland can afford them. To be honest, I'm sorry, Scotland. <laughs> Maybe they're cheaper up there. <laughs> yeah, mate, everything's cheap. Maybe they deep fry them first. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I had a set of school pipes. I. Like, was in the marching band for a couple of years, had a kilt. Um, yeah, went through Scotsman, did a parade in London. Wow. Did, did you used dream. to practice at home? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. How... But they, had, they gave us, like, this little chanter to practice at home with because they realised that everyone's parents did not want them to come <laughs> smashing out the bagpipes in the garden or up in, inside the house. So it was like this, basically like a recorder that just sounded a bit flat, that was like what you'd practice on at home. <laughs> Um, but then occasionally I did bring the pipes home just for banter and played them in the garden. <laughs> Made everyone really pleased. I, which I actually really wanted to play the like snare drum, you know, like the that kind of like marching one. Oh yeah. yeah. I thought that was where the cool the cool kids did that. And one of my friends who was who was well, I don't know if he was cool, but he was slightly cooler than me. I thought he did the snare drum. I wanted to do that, but they were full and they needed more pipers. That's how I actually ended up with the pipes. It was my second choice. That explains a lot. Uh, I really wanted to learn to play the violin and my mum absolutely refused. Everyone said the violin would be horrible to learn. Yeah, I think that's the problem. I think it's fine when you can play it, but I guess the learning process would be pretty painful. I tried, like, guitar, drums, piano... And was just terrible. Music is not for me. Yeah, I was really bad. I settled on the <laughs> piano and I, my mum wouldn't let me have the music teacher at school because she said that it was too expensive. So she got another, this other lady to teach me. And she was lovely, like no offence to my music teacher or the lady that taught me piano. But she only seemed to have one music book and it was just Christmas songs. And <laughs> I really struggled in like no. June to be sitting there playing we Three Kings. I was like... <laughs> Sounds like a dream come true for Tom. TPS, you love Christmas. Yeah, I really love I love Christmas. I do love a mince pie. I'm trying to educate it, Northern Italy on mince pies and they're, they're quite proud and they're not listening to me at the moment, but <laughs> give it a few years. I visited you in Italy for my birthday at the end of last year and... Um, the like etiquette of mealtime and stuff. Like we went on a, we went on a run. Didn't uh, we? Yeah, we had a little jog, Florence Marathon. It's good fun. Happy birthday, me. Those are the days. We've also done an Ironman together. We do all the crazy challenges. Yeah, my first and only. And I, I still hold that every event I've done with you, you've like smashed out a good performance. That is true. I, I do perform very well when you're in the vicinity. Yeah. Except Florence was cut short, wasn't it? I remember. So I, I came round in like 
Don't tell anyone that, Jack. <laughs> it was so annoying. I was coming in, so there's not loads of people around. Like, I'm in a group of maybe three of us by that time, right at the end of the marathon. You're like weaving through the streets of Florence. And then the, one of the guys in front of me went straight on, and this crazy Italian policeman like jumped in front of me. And then he just started pointing backwards and like had to go the other direction. Got to the finish line and found my mate Matt, and I was like, that was definitely short. And he was like, what are you talking about? Because he'd finished ahead of me. They sent me the wrong way, like what's happened and there's a, there's a gas leak so we had to do like 300 meters less and then i did cambridge half marathon this year which was also 200 meters short so if you want a short running race then pick the ones i do it's not short jack if it's only 300 meters less and it's still like a marathon it's short of the defined though isn't it short of what you thought you did yeah it was shorter than i had planned to run that day so did you not have it on your watch like, did you see that it was short? Could you not just continue to run through the finish? Yeah, my watch said 41.8. Did you not, why did you not just keep running? Because you can't keep running when you go through the finish shoot. Like, you look like a massive dickhead. Well, you look like more like a dickhead because you've only you've done 300 metres less. Right, it's all right. It's just Willy waving at the end of the day. Should have just I kept running. find out park runs, they're always like 4.9. I want to get a 5k PB and then they always like, oh, so many of them just finished the 4.5 on my watch. Yeah, this is a big topic to of debate in the running community, isn't it? Whether your watch PB versus your actual time. And I'm a big believer that it's actual time. So whatever you, the results list says is your PB. What you should have done, though, I'm still coming back to the finish line. You should have just put your arms above your head and it looked like a lap of honour. Then you wouldn't look stupid. Do the mobot. Oh, if you kept running through the finish line. Yeah, and then just put your arms above your head. <laughs> so there's all the athletes that are running like sub 230s and stuff in front of me and they're watching me <laughs> running through as if I've won and you think yeah, I but... look less stupid. Yeah. yeah, but they don't know the journey that you've been on. With your arms above your head. <laughs> <laughs> or just pretend you need the toilet and just run to the nearest portaloo. Right, so let's take it back to, let's talk uni. Let's go for the favourite uni story that everyone wants to know. When you came home from a night out with a broken leg. <sighs> wow, you should have seen the other guy. I, mean, <laughs> I could have put money on you saying that. Well, it was our... So we're all members of the boat club. And it was our annual boat club um, boat party. Very well themed. We all got on a canal boat, went for a few drinks along the canal in Bath, like down to the weir. It, yeah, definitely one of the best socials of the year. I remember it always was one of the best. Everyone in black tie. Yeah, black tie, exactly, or boat club, like blazers and stuff. Everyone was looking good. Um, I was going through a tough time in my life, I guess. We could, we could put it like that. Decided a few drinks would definitely help the situation. I have very little recollection. I have a recollection of throwing some serious shape in Weir Lounge. <laughs> I remember having an argument with a bouncer, but I mean, that probably did, that probably splits it from a third of all nights out where <laughs> you didn't have a run-in with a bouncer. <laughs> and then I remember getting him throwing me out and I, was, I remember having a very vivid memory of having no understanding of why this guy was getting me out of this club. I thought he was out of his mind. <laughs> I remember being at the door and a few people coming up to me and going, Tom, just go home. Um, what are you doing? And I, was, I can remember, I can definitely remember the thought of being like, why would I go home? I'm having a great time. Um, and so was everyone else in there. They were having a great time with me. So just let me back in. Um, and I think at this point I couldn't stand, but I think a few people just thought I couldn't really stand because I'd had a few too many drinks. But it, consensus was that I'd fallen down the stairs between the bar above Wheel Lounge and the actual like club where the dance floor is. I, I don't remember my leg hurting until I was... Um, if people who know Bath, if I'm walking from the Weir... 
I remember it starting to hurt when I got to like Second Bridge and around the train station. Which thinking, must be a kilometre. Yeah, and yeah. then I, but I lived at the top of, uh, well, halfway up Wells Road. Which is another two kilometres. And I remember really being a lot of pain at the, at the, the, at the train station, and, but then thinking, I've got no, I got it, just thinking I'm just going to have to put up with it and just, uh, just somehow get home and just dragged myself home, r- ruined my favourite pair of pink chinos, ended up waking up in the morning in my bed, just, yeah, still fully clothed with shoes on and, and blazer and tie, um, and then looking at my ankle, and it was like the size of a tennis ball. But you had completely broken it, and Sam, you had to drive him to A&E, right? No, well, this is the thing. I wasn't there on the night out, because I, I, was, I was in France on yeah. a training camp, but Tom still rang me at 7 o'clock in the morning to ask me to take him to hospital. <laughs> and I was like, what? I yeah. was panicking. Where are I was, you? <laughs> yeah, I think he genuinely thought, because our rooms were next door to each other, and he genuinely thought I was just in the room next door. And was quite ready to take him to hospital. And I was like, Tom, I'm not even in the country. Because you usually drove everyone everywhere. You were the CEO of um, TPS Buses because you had the little Mini. Yeah, that was great. That was good times. That Mini, Mini 1, could manage to fit, yeah, five, six foot, five plus rowers. Uh, well, four plus Jack. And then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a little one. <laughs> even so, when you stopped rowing... You would now even get in your mini and drive so close to the steering wheel because you were so used to having like massive yeah. people in the back that you couldn't yeah. not drive like an old lady. I still do that now. Yeah. <laughs> people get in the back of my car now and they're, and, they're, and I'm like, oh, do you need some more leg room? I'll pull forward. And they're like, you can't drive like that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I definitely <laughs> could have driven him worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did drive so close, like in the steering wheel. Um, were you present for the apple pie incident, Tom? Was that in Sam's car? I was in a car. Oh, episode two, we're going to have to go with this story. You were in it because you were sat in the I think I was seat. in the car with someone. Tom, you were in <laughs> I was in your car, Sam, yeah. <laughs> you normally drove us to all the races and stuff, but Sam, you'd had a new car that day before, hadn't you? Well, no, I wasn't the day before, but I'd got it pretty recently. So we'd raced Gloucester Uni yeah. Head. Yeah, and then we were driving back. Yeah, going back, and we were down the motorway, called Shotgun in Fraser's car, um, and with Mappy, Nick, and someone else in the Ben Jackson in the back. Probably Ben. And you yeah. also had a car full of five. We were just side by side on the motorway, and I had muggins next to me. <laughs> yeah, Tom was in the passenger seat. Classic rowing, I've loads of snacks. I had Mr. Kipling little apple pies, and we'd all had one. Fraser didn't want one, which meant there were two left. I threw one at your car. And it completely, because obviously if you throw something out of a car window sideways, because of the speed you're traveling, it just like zips off behind the car. So then we all laughed a little bit. You hadn't even noticed. And I was like, I wonder if we can get Tom to wind the window down. So we're going down the motorway at 70. You're in the outside lane. We're in the middle lane. Get Tom, 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 wind the window down, wind the window down. TPS puts the window down. I remember leaning across Fraser with my rack. Like, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you didn't even think. You didn't even think. Tom's like... I didn't think this was happening, yeah, But Tom, you were just like, oh, they want to chat. When has anyone chatted on a <laughs> <Yeah>. motorway? <laughs> so I got a five back in the right hand. I, like, flicked it across Fraser, aiming just in front of your car. Everything just went in... I just remember it going in slow motion from then on. You kind of like... We all were like, oh, it's going to miss because it was going in front of your car. Did like the most perfect curve you've ever seen in through the passenger window, hits the back of Sam's seat, like the headrest. It hits all five of us. Yeah, just explodes. It somehow managed to hit all five people in my car. 
and I was so yeah, like remnants of apple pie. <laughs> I've never, <laughs> never seen you that angry. Yeah, well, I'm like one of the most chilled people, and I could not believe we just erupted into hysteria. Like we couldn't stop laughing for about four days. <laughs> I think everyone in my car also wanted a laugh, but I honestly did not find a second of it funny and was mortified because i was meant to be on placement but was training for head of the river i was living on nick's bedroom floor so um had to like walk up to the top of wells road the next day to hoover it for you i made you come and clean that and also you did not walk (laughs) up that hill easily and harris called me and was like i think you should go and clean sam's car it's still pretty messy i was like yeah okay the annoying thing is i was like looking back i was also kind of impressed that you'd managed to do it. I would have been like really, really impressed and found it really funny had it not been my new car. I reckon with that shot, I could feature on The Last Dance. That was an absolute <laughs> fluke. <laughs> I still remember, actually, there was we used to walk every day to the co-op at the end of the road. And there was I'm sure there was a bet that we were gonna go at the final time you were you were gonna go in your bikini to that <laughs> co-op in the final time we went. And then you de- and then you never did, and I'm still upset that you never held yourself up to that dare. Okay. I think on this podcast... When we're next in Bath, I will go to that co-op dressed in my bikini for you, Tom. I remember I went in my morgue once and they wouldn't serve me alcohol, obviously. Even oh, though yeah. I was like 94 kilograms and clearly not a little under 18-year-old. That's why. Yeah. yeah. We just used to go in like pyjamas and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely used to just dress... Because we used to wear, like, funny hats and just dress up and see what the weirdest thing we could do. And then on the last day, we were like, right, let's go and bikini star on last trip. And, yeah, it never happened. And... When did you get locked out before a 2K? Oh, that was in Reading. And Tom locked us out of the house. Oh, that's when I lived with you. <laughs> and I, had to, I bought you a Pizza Express in return because I was really ashamed that I'd locked us out of the house. <laughs> yeah, but that guy And then we'd pay, like, 300 quid for a new lock. That was a nightmare. It was like doing the maths and he was like added that and i was like stood there like i mean i'm not the best no. at maths but the 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 sums that he was doing and i was like that does not add up so i went and got my phone and like redid it and he honestly charged us vat at like 75 percent as like, you do realize that vat <laughs> is 20 percent and i was like that is way too much i was like i think you mean to charge us this amount <laughs> And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, he actually would have just, like, got away with it as well. Because when they go and then ask for it in cash, and you're like, hang on a second. <laughs> I row. <laughs> I do not have £300 in cash <laughs> in the house. Speaking of lots of money in cash, yeah. TPS, have you, have you ever made any really stupid purchases? I have a traffic light. That's quite, that's really, I'm really quite proud of that. In my parents' what? loft, I have a traffic light. I, I got from an antique shop. As in, like... <laughs> I've got so many questions here as in just just the light like a bulb do you mean you've bought a bulb <laughs> like you've got a full no, set like of the thing that goes lights. on top of the post like the the box with the three lights on like red green um, and yellow like the actual like big box with the three also when you said that you were quite proud of it I thought there was going to be some story about when you somehow on a night out managed to take it off like the road and take them but you just said that you got bought it from an, <laughs> from an antique shop i also thought you were about to tell us a stealing story it's like really old it's like like 1950s or something like that i think my wife now doesn't allow us to have it in the house yeah unless you can like do it up and do make something really edgy with it 
Did you spend much on your wedding? Yeah, but that was a good use of money, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I might not have a marriage after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that was a savage link there, Jack. <laughs> I didn't mean like that. I mean, like, because your, your wedding planning was a bit of a hassle, right? Well, for me, it was fine. I, I, I got my dream job, like, two, um, about, like the, the two weeks after I proposed and then buggered off for, like, three months before the wedding, let Mary Louise plan it all. It was, it was ideal, really. My my part. She had to do everything. Tom did very little of his wedding planning. Yeah, I did very little. Dream. It should be said when you left uni, you um, there's a fair bit of time between like getting married, working for Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. I worked for an oil company for a bit. Lived in Reading. Lived the dream. Moved to Henley. The trackside oil analysis for McLaren for a bit. But through BP Castrol, where I was working, so I I was like trackside for like first like quarter of a season. It was like five races I did trackside, um, which was always like my initial dream was to be working trackside. So I got to tick that off and quick, yeah. But that wasn't quite as glamorous, was it? No, I mean I always want. I'm glad I did it, and I always wanted to do it. But was it Bahrain that you were like stuck in a tent? Yeah, I I, like waited up for like three in the morning, like multiple times for like a a fire-up sample and it didn't even come in the end and you were just stuck a lot of waiting around in the garage and a lot of and a lot of just like operating not really like thinking what you were doing just like just going through the motions didn't you blow up an engine while you were there uh i had some pretty big failures at bp yeah <laughs> i actually flooded a test cell with oil because i blew a press transducer and then got the nickname macondo which is the oil field that you know ruined the gulf of mexico thanks to bp <laughs> That was a pretty... I guess I can publicise all my mistakes at BP. I don't think anyone's going to listen from there. And also, I don't work for them anymore. <laughs> what else did you do? I broke some... I broke loads, lots of... I made lots of... My boss actually phrased it as... Because I got on with my boss fairly well. Tom's had lots of learning opportunities in the last <laughs> few years. And I was like, yeah, it's true. I have learned a lot what not to do. That's the best way of learning. One of my favourite stories is obviously you were living in Reading, which meant that Henley Royal Regatta was always a pretty big party because you could just get... Oh, you lived in Henley for a while as well, which meant yeah. that like um, getting there and back was pretty easy because you could just walk. But like you failed a drugs test once, right? Because you were... <laughs> went so hard at Henley and and you didn't actually do any drugs just to clarify no Tom went so hard on hay fever tablets but it was a mixture of hay fever tablets and alcohol or something made it came back like you'd taken heroin Red Bull apparently yeah kids if you're gonna have a drug test don't overdose on Red Bull and hay fever tablet because you know the ones where you're supposed to only have one one a day so it was like my first week at BP and they asked me to have a drug drugs test came back as I did test positive for heroin I think um, a urine sample it came back as yeah it picked up the same trace basically from an overdose of hay fever like the one a day hay fever tablets I was having like three or four a day I think because we were camping in a field in Henley and I was also had, like lived with the Red Bull rep at that time so I just naturally had like two or three crates of Red Bull in the back of the car at this point after a year of living with him I was having three or four cans of Red Bull a day and that was completely normal and then yeah tested positive and had to have a very awkward conversation with have you been taking heroin and uh, anyone who does know me <laughs> I hopefully would know that yeah I definitely would not be taking heroin but working at BP did get you onto your your like TV debut when you got onto the Amazon uh, series didn't you oh yeah I was on the Amazon I thought yeah, you were going to say the Russian Grand Prix 
When it was the Russian Grand Prix, oh. I thought you were going to say that story. When when I was messaging oh, you and yeah. Tilda, that was said, so funny. The BBC guys are like right outside the front of the garage. Um, I'm going to go out and like stand behind them. Let me know if you could see. I think we were like Snapchatting or something with me in the yeah. background on my phone, <laughs> <laughs> watching it on TV. That was funny. And then yeah. we dared, yeah, because we dared you to get on TV and also get a photo with is it Steve Jones? Yeah, Steve Jones, the presenter. Yeah, yeah. And my my last Grand Prix, okay, I, went, I went up to him and went, Steve, Steve, can I have a picture? And he was like, of course, mate, would be my pleasure. And I was like, oh, this is, I think I said, like, this has been, my housemates are like huge fans of yours. They'll love this picture. <laughs> no, I was like, not that I'm not a huge fan, obviously. But... <laughs> <laughs> and you'd call him Dave or something. Yeah, yeah. Boy, Barry, can I have a picture? Cheers, Dave. <laughs> you can't use that name. You know, that's what I call Vicky. <laughs> Barry. Barry. <laughs> it feels a bit weird when I call her Vicky to her face. <laughs> you always call her Barry all the time in front of her parents. Like, Yeah. I always just think of the Chuckle <laughs> Brothers when I think of Barry. She is a Chuckle Brother, to be fair. Yeah, it's the same person. To me, to you. <laughs> so, back to the podcast. There's one more story that I want to cover because it is one of my favourite stories of all time. Oh. And that was when we went camping at Wimbledon. It was... <laughs> So we wanted to go for Wimbledon for like years because we like we were kind of going through a phase of trying to watch as many live sports as possible. Me and Tom, we'd done quite a few. Like we'd went to the velodrome and watched the cycling, and we went and watched hockey. I'd never been to Wimbledon, and you'd gone with school friends and camped. So Tom was like, "I know what I'm doing." Um, so we <laughs> turned up the night. I think it was like a Tuesday night, and we were going to watch the Wednesday, and it was like pissing it down. Like, it was absolutely torrential rain. So everything was soaking wet. Tom went and parked the car, and there was me, Matilda, who we also live with, and her boyfriend. And we'd all, like, given ourselves, like, different jobs to do. Um, so I was in charge of the food. So it made us, like, sausage sandwiches for the morning. Um, we'd had pizza for dinner. I'd made some brownies. had like, covered the food off pretty well. We also had outfits because we were going to dress up. I remember some great brownies. Yeah. Great Tom was in charge of the bringing the tent. I can't remember what Matilda and Ben did. I think they were maybe on like entertainment and stuff. But anyway, so and so we, drinks, we pulled maybe. up and they like, they yeah, I think they probably did drinks. Oh yeah, because we had all that pims. So yeah. we pulled up to our like pulled up to the queue and obviously it's like very well organised and very posh and they gave us. Our, our little tickets and our little plot number where we were to pitch our tents. And because we were together, um, they were like, oh, do you need one or two? Because it was four of us. And we're like, oh, no, no, don't worry. We've just got, like, the one the one tent. So Tom goes, don't worry, guys. I bought the four-man pop-up tent. <laughs> and we were like, you can get a four-man pop-up tent. And he's like, yeah, it's like just one of those ones that you, like, throw in the air and it, like, pops up. Like, I mean, which would have been fantastic because obviously we didn't want to waste time putting a tent up in the rain. But okay. also, has anyone ever heard of a four-man pop-up tent? No, it's because they don't exist. And Tom threw this tent up into the air and it landed. And the only way to describe it is, you know, those ones that you see in children's like playrooms where they can fit like at max maybe three toddlers in. Tom bought that for four of us <laughs> to sleep in yeah. at Wimbledon. Tom and Ben are not small. Not my most well-received direction. <laughs> the guy behind us was like, oh, don't worry, there's room behind for your other tent. And we were like, 
Oh no no this this is our tent. This is all we have. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like pissing down with rain, so we couldn't even leave stuff outside of the tent. So all four of us plus all of our bags and all this food had to be inside this tent. And to say that it was cramped is an absolute understatement. We basically four of us slept on top of each other for a night. We didn't really sleep. And then I think it got to about like one o'clock in the morning. We're all like secretly like struggling to breathe a bit, but like haven't really noticed. Like we just like it's kind of one of those mm. things where it, like slowly creeps up on you. And then all of a sudden, Tom sits like <laughs> bolt upright and it's like the weakest of all early, yeah, <laughs> scraping at the door to try and get out. And he's like, I need oxygen, I need oxygen. And then me and Matilda are suddenly like, oh my god, I need oxygen too. And we'd basically like <laughs> had started to suffocate ourselves because there was it was such a small area <laughs> and there was four of us and we were just way too big for the tent that we'd used up all of the oxygen. <laughs> so we had to open the yeah. doors and literally the three of us are lying there with our heads like hanging out of the tent door, gasping at air to try it because we were like slowly suffocating ourselves. It was ridiculous. And then we could not get back to sleep. That was horrible. I remember being terrified. I remember being absolutely terrified. We were sat in the tent at four o'clock in the morning eating our sausage sandwiches that were supposed to be our breakfast. And then we yeah. were up so early that we made it onto Good Morning Britain <laughs> that started yeah. at six o'clock in the morning. Tennis. <laughs> playing tennis. Playing tennis. <laughs> on Good Morning <laughs> Britain in our tennis <laughs> outfits that we'd taken to get honestly. Sounds like you've got a few TV appearances then. Yeah. Famous. Loads of loads uh-huh. of famous TV appearances. <laughs> was pretty bad. Yeah, it was definitely. People just time, could not believe there was four of us in that tent. I mean, to be honest, we couldn't believe there was four of us in that tent. But yes, was that the year you had a pretty rowdy Christmas work Christmas party? Yeah, Sam, you came to pick me up a day after work once because I yeah cycled yeah. in. You cycled in with no clothes on, and it was Christmas with shorts and t-shirt on it. When it was like just before Christmas because I was too scared to drive, and then realised when I was at work, I just should have stayed at home. And then I got a phone call. To be like, can you please come and pick me up from work? And he shivered yeah. and shook in the front seat of my car the whole journey home. <laughs> yeah, should explain. You can't like before I got too drunk, and in the process of thinking I shouldn't drive, you had literally cycled in like minus six degrees in shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah, it was very cold. I remember being very cold. Yeah. Yeah, but you also like didn't even make it to your bed that night. No, but that was a common occurrence, so it's all right. You fell asleep on the landing. And me and Matilda thought that his snoring was so loud that me and Matilda genuinely thought he was in like either one of our rooms. And he wasn't. He was just fast asleep on the landing and he just hadn't made it to bed. I'd made it home, so I was safe. I felt safe in, inside the house. Yeah, you made it home. You were safe. <laughs> I was in a safe space. I could therefore go to sleep. It was, it was okay. I was comfortable on the floor <laughs> at that point in time. But that was like Matilda's first like experience of that. Because I was obviously used to it from uni when I would like wake up to go to training and either yeah. find you like in the porch or on the beanbag or like part way to your room. But yeah, Matilda was like so shocked and was like couldn't believe how uncomfortable it must have been. And I was like, oh no, this is this is Tom. What is this waste of space doing on the landing? Can he not make his way <laughs> to his bed? Yeah, what is this uh, rhino outside my room making such a noise? I think when I was always had a few drinks, I always just had the instinct that as long as I got to somewhere safe, then I could just collapse and I would be comfortable in any position and sleep anywhere. I'd even I'd sleep outside; it would be fine. It's just as long as I knew I was back 
safe, like, yeah. on, like on the on the street corner or something like that. I actually fell asleep on the street corner. Yeah, I actually had to drag you from a street corner. Yeah, yeah, saying that where you fall asleep when you've had too many. I remember you in a onesie refusing to move and saying at the entrance to the state the train station. No, I'm fine here. Leave me here. <laughs> Samantha, <laughs> we are not... That's not possible. I was basically in my pyjamas. I mean, I, I how I ended up with this gig, but we'd been like doing the promotion for One Piece. So we had been wearing a onesie all night at this like, party, and obviously there'd been free drinks because we were working. So that's how jobs work. People had put their lemonade in the vodka. The student dream jobs. <laughs> they had these two jugs, one full of lemonade and one full of vodka, but obviously they just both looked exactly the same and they didn't label them. So I was like making drinks, absolutely no idea of how much of what I was putting in. So obviously common sense was like, well, the best thing to do is to do 50-50 and then it's you're not going to have a weak drink and you're not going to have an overly just vodka drink. But that didn't work out. Wait, so one was pure vodka, one was lemonade, and you were mixing them 50-50? Well, yeah, because it, they didn't label it. Both jugs looked identical. I mean, one's fizzy and one's yeah, not. Yeah, but when you've had a couple of drinks, that just doesn't become a sink. One's still fizzy and one's still not. <laughs> the only thing my brain could function was put some of that in, put some of that in, there's a drink. Yeah, it didn't end well. I think I had buttered Tom and bust his lip. No matter how drunk I am, I can... On a sip test, you can tell what's pure vodka and what's lemonade. Yeah, but I wasn't like I wasn't in. I was like I also wasn't in the mood to try and figure it out either. Like you don't think about these things. You just you just like yeah. I'm going to make myself a drink. I just put the two things together and You're made myself a drink. Still not in the mood now, Jack, to figure it out. Quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure if the same thing was to happen again, leave it out, Jack. If the same situation was to occur. I'm pretty sure after a few drinks, I would just do exactly the same thing and deal with the consequences. Fun, fun was had. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a great night. How are you living in Italy then, Tom? Like for the listeners, how's the transition to moving to Italy? Have you learned Italian? The full story is like when I was my final year of uni, um, I did a project called former student so my final year was basically built around building a single-seater racing car and competing against other universities in a competition called this is called former student and then at the end of that i met at one of the competitions i met someone from ferrari and they said oh we're starting this academy program would you like to apply and i was like wow that sounds awesome so then i went through the process to apply and then the process went on a lot longer than i was expecting and by the time they offered me an interview to come out here I'd already accepted a job at BP, and it was like my second day of work. So I felt like I couldn't bunk off on day two. It would be a bit suspicious. So I said no to Ferrari, which was kind of always my dream job, um, and said, no, no, it's just not right at right, the right time. Um, and then when I was coming to the end of my, like I was on a grad scheme at BP, and I was coming to my final rotation and had been offered the, a permanent role in, in somewhere where I was like, I was pretty happy, but I was wanted to explore my options. I got in contact with the same contact I had and said is there any opportunities and just like happened to be the perfect role was just being posted so she said oh yeah apply here send us your CV came out for an interview assessment center etc etc and then got offered the job and kind of didn't ever think I would come even like applied just thinking oh it'd be interesting to see if how far I get in the interview process and then coming out here thinking, oh, it'd be cool to at least go out and go for an interview. And then once getting offered it, I was like, oh, it's cool, but they'll never, my wife will never, like, up sticks, quit her job and, and be happy to move out here. Um, so I'll just turn it down. And then these things just kept happening. And eventually we got to the point where they made an offer. And I was like, oh, you've even made an offer that I thought was 
they wouldn't make an offer that competitive. Like I was really surprised. But then we had to properly think about it. And yeah, Mary Louise, um, my wife was kind of like, look, it's your dream job since you were like 14. I can't say, can't let you not take it for, for me or to stay in the UK because I want to stay in the UK. We've got to, we should go and do it. So yeah, I kind of wouldn't have done it unless she'd been as supportive. You've been there two years now? Yeah. Uh, just less than two yeah. years. Yeah, just less, yeah. less than less than two two years ago. I actually, came out for the interview on the Monday after Henley. <laughs> two years ago, I remember very well flying out for the oh, interview. Cool. Yeah, had the interview with them. Um, yeah, and uh, have you had to learn Italian? Well, the job wasn't like you have to learn Italian to be able to do the job, but I definitely think they thought and everyone else thought that I'd learn Italian better than I have. <laughs> <laughs> I was never good at spelling English, and I actually did make this clear in the interview. I was like, look, are you expecting me to learn Italian? Because I was horrendous. Like, my French teacher at school turned to my father um, in a parents' evening and said, he tries so hard, but he has the worst French accent I have ever heard. <laughs> and my father is still like, that's like one of the proudest things my dad has ever heard, I think, that I have the worst French accent this teacher has ever heard. <laughs> So I was never thinking I was going to pick it up quickly, but I mean, I try. I try my best. You've, seen, you've both seen my attempts at Italian, and the Italians appreciate if I try as well. But I do have to hand it to you, Tom, though. You do try so hard with your Italian. Hats off to you. Yeah, you've both seen I... me struggle. Yeah, I'll also vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the confidence that you have in even just trying and attempting to speak it is, yeah, very commendable because I wouldn't be able to do that. My my view is that even if I am very bad and I don't, my yeah friends and stuff are always like, you're not conjugating the words right, you're not doing this right. Uh, at least I'm like, okay, well, I've at least got to like show that I have enough respect to at least give it a good good go. Um, and I can kind of get my like point across, but it's like baby baby level still. And I haven't progressed off that for like the last year, I felt, pretty much. Are we talking about you speaking in English or Italian? <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> It's like my my writing in English is probably similar to like yeah, horrendous level. <laughs> but is it not quite difficult? Like I imagine when you like learn a language at school, you learn like the classic sayings of like "Hi, my name is Sam. I live in wherever. I have two dogs and a cat." But I guess if you're working like with the cars and everything, it's yeah. It like the language is like so much more technical, and the words are stuff that you just would never come across i'm not asking yeah i'm not asking a mechanic how his how many kids he has or what his favorite color is or anything i'm more like yeah can you remove <laughs> can you tighten this to this load can you the best i am at, i'm very good at ordering gelato and ordering pizza very good at that. <laughs> well that's fine <laughs> you do, priorities you do love your food <laughs> they can't you can't beat italian yeah the proper italian like napolitan like pizza was with the big doughy crust and like a gelato, and a gelato. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, so now pretty, we know the yeah, real you reason you moved to Italy. I definitely wasn't just because of the dream job. I remember saying in an interview, like, oh, I want to experience the culture, the food, like some good, yeah, good scenery, cycling, mountains, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's got a lot to offer, Italy. Vinegar. Yeah, <laughs> balsamic vinegar. <laughs> I took you to a balsamic vinegar tasting. That's something you never thought you'd went to. You'd go On to. my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's the day before my birthday. Some people get cake, other people get vinegar. We should explain it because you live in Modena, which is just outside Maranello, where Ferrari is. Yeah. Um, and obviously the region is famous for supplying 
balsamic vinegar. So they have balsamic vinegar tastings in the same way you would taste wine, you taste all these different vinegars. It's actually quite cool and they taste very different to what you expect. Like the kettle chips for people who don't know, yeah, yeah. know the region. It always says on kettle chips like sea salt and balsamic vinegar of Modena. There you go. <laughs> people have an ice cream. People have it on Sporodinate ice cream. Yeah, and they have like a teaspoon of it after meals. Yeah, yeah. that is a thing. I mean, my favourite is it just God. on top of like tortelloni, uh, freshly cooked tortelloni with butter and then drizzled with a bit of balsamic vinegar. That's pretty there good. There we go. Stuff. You can't cook it yourself, but you can, t- you can tell us what's good. Oh, no, for sure I can't cook that. So to finish off, if there's one thing you could tell your younger self, uh, what would it be? I, mean, I don't have any regrets. I'm quite happy with what I've done. I'd just say, yeah, just keep working hard. Yeah, just keep pu- keep pushing. But what people say to me at work, just keep pushing. <laughs> and what they used to tell you when you rode as well. <laughs> yeah, what what people say when you rode. I mean, Italian. No, I've rode in an eight with TPS. He definitely doesn't keep pushing. Yeah. <laughs> Put my blade in late and then push a bit later. Push after everyone else has pushed and then it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't <laughs> not retiring. Why get, is this boat so heavy? <laughs> get your blade in. Get, get your catch in TPS. I remember hearing that a lot. But yeah, in Italian, it's spingere, is to push. Oh, I can't talk. My technique was embarrassing. So in Italian, people just say spinge, spinge or spingere to push. And I just, yeah, I just tell my younger self, just, yeah, keep pushing, keep working hard. It'll all pay off in the end. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you came to the podcast to hear cool stories about uh, Formula One, we've not really provided that. However, I think you've given a good insight into like working hard and... Listen, my blunders, it feels like a bit. All my mistakes. All my embarrassing mistakes. (laughs) I forget that you two remember a lot. (laughs) Oh, we remember everything. Remember a lot from my embarrassing times at university. Brings out the character building. Yeah, but Tom, you've said that you have no regrets, so you've obviously done something right. Yeah, I don't have any regrets for this. Well, thank you very much, Tom. All right, thanks for being a great guest, Tom. No worries. Lovely to speak to you both. We'll catch up with you soon. Catch up soon. Yeah, catch up with you soon. Ciao, ciao. Sam, what were your main takeaways from that episode with Tom? For me, I think the main takeaway was just how determined he was at such a young age and the fact that that determination wasn't driven by external pressures from anyone at school or his parents and that he almost just had like a real turning point of once he decided what his dream job would be and what he wanted to do, the impact that that then had and the measures he took on himself to make sure that he achieved it. Yeah, I think his resilience was incredible, the way he sort of said, this is what I want to do and worked really hard to do it. Like I've always said, he is one of our most talented friends, but it's not come easy to him ever. He's had to just work harder than everyone else has and really apply himself to be the best he can be. And that power of like having a dream as... um, got him where he wants to be and obviously not without setbacks he's had a lot on the way but yeah it's quite inspiring to see that he's not let things like his dyslexia or struggling in school hold him back he's just worked and worked and worked and found solutions to what would otherwise have been problems yeah i think he's like the epitome of like all of the sayings when they're like our natural talent gets you so far but hard work and determination gets you over the finish line and i think that's exactly what he's done yeah and he's just a generally nice bloke so thanks for that tom if you like if you liked what you hear then 
make sure you leave us an, an iTunes review or otherwise and subscribe and uh, we'll be back next week with an exciting episode with Sam Brocky.